Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Aram Layton. He's your host, Jack McMullen. And we're back on the team, top 10, team top 15, farm system rundown, whatever you want to call it. We're back on the grind with those. We have the Miami Marlins top prospect list. And this list actually dropped a few weeks ago. Uh, on JustBaseball.com, but we had not put out an episode kind of breaking it all down for our folks on YouTube, for our folks on the podcast, and also people that maybe read it and want to hear us elaborate a bit more and talk a bit more about these prospects. Jack, this system is kind of a shell of what it once was, but there's still plenty of talent within it, including the top prospect in baseball pitching-wise, the top pitching prospect in baseball. So, there's still plenty to talk about. There's some interesting trends since this has been written, and I'm still excited to go through it. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't call Yuri the best prospect in baseball because we just saw the best prospect in baseball drill a walk-off homer yesterday and gritty to home plate, which was maybe the coldest thing ever. Um, this guy, what? He he walked in his first plate appearance. I watched that because it was a 635 first pitch, and then – all like the major league baseball that I wanted to watch started at eight. So I watched the first hour and a half of that Louisville Worcester game. I watched Ellie draw a full count walk, steal second, steal third. I mean, it was like every time this dude is near the batter's box or on the base pads or in the field, he's going to do something incredible. So hey, keep top prospect in baseball out of your mouth, unless you're talking yes. about the God in Louisville. Yeah, and I think people are going to start to come around to uh, you know where we stand on Ellie De La Cruz. I think we're going to see him number one on more top prospect lists very soon. Um, yeah. That this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, that walk off was awesome. He's electrifying, and you know, this Marlin system, man, can they just hit on one of those guys? Obviously, you're, you're going to get a little bit of the the Marlins fan in me complaining there because it's just it's tough when you look through the system. It's it's bad drafting over the last couple of years. It has has really hampered them. Um, it's, it's a little bit of poor development. It's a little bit of everything, but they've invested heavily into the, uh, you know, some facilities in the Dominican Republic, you know, to, to have some of those camps out there to be able to scout, develop, do things better out there. So it'll be interesting to see how those complexes help them, but they've definitely invested a lot, especially for the Marlins out there. We'll start with the names to watch the Marlins system. It's, it's a little bit shaky, even in that regard, it's very thin. So I pretty much just highlighted guys with a tool that could carry them to the big leagues. And yeah. I think that's the best way to go about it. We'll, we'll throw the names right up here on the stream. Reminder, if you're listening audio-wise, you haven't seen the top prospect list, you can follow along uh, with the link in the description and go check out that full ranking there. I'll fly through the names to watch. Jack, feel free to add anything else here. And there are some other names to watch that I should probably mention in the lower levels um, that have kind of gotten off to good starts before I really dove into this and, and wrote this. So there's some some names that you know may be performing decently well, but overall, these are the more specific names to watch, though we're going to get to somebody very soon. Anthony Paguero was the closest to making it into that top 15. It was between him and, and uh, Marco Vargas to... Dominican Summer League prospects that we haven't really seen much stateside, but I think we're two of the more prized targets in their class. Uh, Piguero, I, I think, has a lot of offensive intrigue, signed for $575,000, good field to hit, decent tools, definitely a guy worth following, but you know we got to see more. I do like the well-rounded skill set. DSL prospects that show a little bit more polished generally hedges some of the risk there. Zach McCambly, he should be back soon. I actually just caught up with him. And it was it was really nice to hear just positive, 
positive stuff from the right-handed pitcher because McCambly, his slider alone can get him to the big leagues. I think that's a big league bullpen pitch. He initially thought that he might need Tommy John surgery. That was, that was the first thing that he heard early this off season. And he went and got a second opinion. They said, actually this healed a little bit. You look pretty good. He's been throwing off a mound and looks very solid. He told me he was up to 94, 95. So very excited for McCambly to come back. This guy's still going to be tried as a starter. I think he has the potential to be a five starter with with the breaking ball if he can develop the changeup. The fastball is is a little bit of a dead zone pitch, but he's been working on that. But again, that breaking ball is elite, and that could carry him into a bullpen. Hard worker, awesome dude. McCambly will find a way to make it to the big leagues. I really do believe that. Joe Mack, man, he's off to a slow start. Um I liked what I saw in the fall league and it just, it doesn't look the same. His, his lower half has been a little bit less existent. I just talked about this on the fish on first podcast. Uh, definitely go check out what they're doing. Formerly known as fish stripes doing a great job over there. Uh, but it, it just doesn't look like the same swing I saw in the fall league. I don't know if he's you know trying too hard to, to make more contacts, but the lower half seems less involved. No power there right now. And whiffing more Nick Enright was just DFA, which stinks. Um, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer prior to the season, had overcome that, I believe, fully in remission, started to throw, was throwing in Jacksonville, showed some flashes. Last start was rough or last appearance was rough yeah. and they DFA'd him. So it's tough to 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 see that. Hopefully he lands on his feet. Um, I, I still think this is one of the better shaped fastballs in the minor leagues. And I think that'll allow him to be a seventh inning type guy. Slider's not bad tunneling off of that. Brian Hoeing, I, I got to give myself a pat on the back for, for highlighting Brian Hoeing as a name to watch. His stuff ticked up. He's been a decent mop-up duty guy for the Marlins at the big league level this year and has been getting outs. Then we got Troy Johnston, who's been swinging it really well in double-A. First baseman should absolutely be at the big – or excuse me, at the triple-A level right now. Um, defensive questions, but he's hitting the ball harder than he ever has. And, again, just consistently putting up numbers. I'll save the back half. Do you want anyone that you want to – hit on here and these names to watch because we got a few more but i feel like i'm gonna ramble too long no so just want to fly through these guys and you tell me like which tool can get them to the big leagues right because that's how you quantified this it's anybody that can ride a certain tool to the big leagues is on this list so Pigero is what a hit tool yeah that that was that guy's more of an exception to it because it's dsl so that was that was more of uh the one exception to that to that assertion there, but I would say it would be the hit tool. Got it. So hit tool for Pagero, but again, like this is a project and, and one that, you know, hopefully you can mold into something great. Uh, McCambly slider that can get him there. Yes. Right. Mac. Is it, I'd say it's the left-handed power as a catcher, but like, where's the power? Like he, I, there. I know I saw it was hard in the fall. Like 108, so 109s. Here's the thing. 44 games in minor league ball last year. He had four homers. Then he goes to the fall league has four homers. Yeah. And so far this year in like 40 something games has four extra base hits. They're all doubles. So like, I, I appreciate, you know, the lefty power that you're talking about. And like, that's why they took him in the first round at a high school but he's slugging 226 in high no, A. Where I, is it? Trust me, I, I agree with you. But it's like, do I? Can you take him off a name to watch as a 20 Probably year old not. catcher? You know, so it's like, no. That's what it's going to be though. Is whiff, but he develops defensively, catching wise, and runs into enough from the left side. But to your point, losing confidence in that. Yeah, uh, and right fastball, like fastball. you mentioned, hoeing what fastball or is it command? 
I would say it's it's command, but now that the mm-hmm. fastball's ticked up, you know, like he can be that middle inning mop up guy. Yeah. Uh Johnston power. Now it looks like power, which is interesting. I would have said hit before, but it's I think it's kind of that blend of of hit and power. Yeah. Cool. And then we'll we'll go real quick on the next guys. Um Jacob Miller. We, we can play that game too with these guys if you want. Yeah, just yeah. Like let's just go through tool. these guys real quick. Jacob Miller, right hander, second round pick. I would say it's it's going to be the breaking balls. He's a raw prep arm. He's kind of in the same bucket as Paguero, not one tool with him specifically. Fitterer, it's going to be the fastball. I mean, it, he's seen a two-mile-per-hour uptick. It's nasty. Um, it, it's just about the command for him. Mangum, defense in center field, elite defender out there. Uh Putting up good numbers in AAA, but the underlying stats look shaky. He's ready. He is Michael Ciani. Like, yeah. that's what it is. Like, he may not hit much at the big league level, but he's ready to defend at the big league level. Absolutely. And and I think he might get a look if, if you know, Jonathan Davis doesn't cut it, who they went out and, and acquired. Pat Montverde, I'd say it's got to be the the command. Um, this guy's been awesome in double a it definitely seen an uptick in his stuff from this, the tax baseballs, but you know what? He's getting out and he looks really good overall. Uh, so Monteverde has been pretty solid Griffin Conan, you know, it's going to be the power the powers. It's 80 grade. That's what's going to get you there. Uh, it's, it's just about the hit tool. Um, and, and if he can, you know, figure that out there, uh, also playing pretty good defense out there, Jordan Groshans, it's the hit tool, but Man, I mean, he's not hitting that well. Um, Jerron Carnacion, it's the power. Yeah. And then, and of course, he's first base slash outfield. And then Luis Palacios, it's command. It's it's nothing other than command. This guy sits 88 to 90, but spots, spots his pitches, gets outs. He's 22 years old and he's gotten outs pretty much at every single stop. So, and so proven otherwise, he reminds me a lot of Connor Thomas, like we talk about with the Cardinals. He mm-hmm. might just be able to get outs. Right. Out getter. Although Connor Thomas, I think, has an ERA right around four and a half, five right now. So he's not getting outs the way that you would hope that he's getting outs. Um, real quick on Groshans. I think Kim Eng made this move, what, last deadline, right? It was yes. bass and pop for Groshans. Yep. I think that she found an upgraded version of Groshans in, in Xavier Edwards. Uh-huh. And Edwards is now a tweener. So like Groshans 100%. is almost the understudy to the tweener right now. I, I almost wish, and I know that, you know, at the time it was like, oh, Groshans just just was recently a top 100 pit or top 100 prospect and had the first round pedigree or whatever. But you have to figure if, if a team that drafted a guy in the first round is willing to move off of him for two relievers, you know, yeah. that are not very impactful. Um, I know they threw all right, but not very impactful. Y- you got to wonder. I almost wish that they went with a lotto ticket at the lower levels because at least you have a little bit more upside there versus a guy that's kind of going stale in the in AAA right now with Jordan Groshans. He doesn't really have one redeeming tool other than maybe the hit. So, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty though. We'll get to 15, which is actually a guy that is is one of the hottest hitters in the minor leagues right now. It's Jacob Amaya. And Jacob Amaya, I think with the way that he's playing at this moment, you can make the cases worthy of being higher. Then 15 traded for Miguel Rojas from the Dodgers and Amaya offensively, nothing's going to jump off the page. I think what's, what's standing out to me though now is you're seeing average power. You're seeing an average hit tool and he's a great defender at shortstop. That's enough to be a, you know, an average big league shortstop. I, I don't know if he's an average everyday shortstop, but 85% zone contact, 102 mile per hour, 90th percentile. 
The defense is good. He puts the ball on the ground too much. That's one issue. Um, but this is a well-rounded game across the board, and I think he could be a, an above-replacement-level shortstop. And right now, the Marlins need that. And I think that there's a chance we see Amaya called up relatively soon, Jack. Yeah, so Amaya, I mean, you mentioned one of the hottest hitters in minor league baseball right now. This guy, 19 games in May, hit 394 with an 1161 OPS. He had 11 extra base hits, 10 strikeouts in 19 games. When you have more extra base hits than strikeouts in a month, you had a really good month. And Jacob Amaya had a very good month. I loved this trade for the Marlins. I mean, where Rojas was at, you figure you're not getting much from him anymore. The Dodgers had a 40-man crunch, so it was worth it for them to move off of Amaya. And they wanted a guy that guaranteed plugs into their big league lineup right now, which is Rojas. But it looks like Amaya, you know, could be pretty close to to ready. You mentioned the numbers as of late. The one concern is a 59% ground ball rate even over those last 30 games that we're looking at here. How much does that concern you, Jack? Like, I... He, he's still running into some homers. He's got seven home runs in those 30 games, but yeah. a 59%. It's pretty weird. But I guess it's just, what are you asking of him? Like if you're asking him to be an eight hitting shortstop, I think it's fine. Yeah. Because any homer that he hits is a bonus. Like any yeah. extra base hit that he tallies is a bonus. You're asking him to hold down shortstop. Yeah. And hit 250 and just hit your weight. Yeah. Don't just yeah. don't be a gaping hole. And I, and I, because right now it's shortstop's a gaping hole for them. Joey Wendell's been atrocious. Yeah. Um, you know, they've started Garrett Hampson, whoever there that's, that's going to give you, I think, worse offensive production. So, like, yeah, elite honestly, approach is important too. 15% chase rate. I mean, yeah. that's, that's elite. No, I mean, honestly, if the task is don't suck, I think that this guy has proved in May that he's not going to suck. I agree. And I think he's like kind of the perfect don't suck guy. There's, there's not yes. a lot of risk there. 14 is a totally different kind of prospect. It's Marco Vargas. And this was a a fun dive for me uh, in terms of the video that I was able to get access to. And also I get to see a little bit of him on the backfields. He was initially signed as an international free agent as a catcher. And it just, it wasn't really happening for him as a catcher. They also needed some infield help out there. And Vargas quickly just made the, the jump over to the infield and played all over and actually looked pretty good out there. So the Marlins said, hey, you know what? We, we like him more as an infielder. They played him at third. They played him at second. I like him better at second base. But where Vargas stands out is the hit tool. We've yet to see him play this year. I don't think the Dominican Summer League season gets, gets going for a little bit still. Um, but he just turned 18 years old. And if you look at the metrics from last year at the DSL, 51 games, Surface level stats, 318, 422, 887 slash line. That's fantastic. Of course, always take DSL stats with a grain of salt. I get to see this guy swing. It's silky smooth. Bat lives in the zone. It's so advanced for his age. Then you look at the data, 93% zone contact at that level. That's fantastic. He flashed at least average power. He could grow into a bit more, and he runs pretty well. This is a breath of fresh air in the Marlin system, a hit over everything else kind of prospect that's ahead of his years. Well, and plate discipline in the DSL is such like a lost art. I'd say oh, yeah. even the complex too, right? You've got a bunch of teenagers that are trying to swing their way onto an affiliate. And, and for the fact, for the lone fact that Vargas walked more than he struck out in the DSL, I commend him. And I think that this guy is complex ready and he'll probably be a Jupiter hammerhead at some point this year. I, would like, lo- I really hope so. You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. Salas with the Padres, that's the big story in the prospect world right now. Yes, it's A.J. smith Shaver going up. Like, that's fucking crazy. We've had that conversation a billion times already. But, like, Salas at 16 years old 
making an affiliate in the Padres low A and Lake Elsinore <laughs> is because he doesn't press like he's just that good. The guys that get off the, these DSL and complex teams as quickly as they do is because they don't press. Yeah. And his line alone says that this guy's not pressing in the DSL. One million percent. And that's why I think he can handle a more aggressive assignment. A guy that's probably probably presses a little bit, um, but has more upside. So that's why we ranked him ahead. It's another DSL prospect, Jose Gerardo, who this guy has some of the best power I've seen from a DSL prospect, but also struck out a lot more. 31% K rate. He did walk um, because I think nobody really wanted to pitch to him. I think he was one of the more feared hitters in the DSL, but this is a guy that was definitely to your point, Jack, trying to swing his way to an affiliate. And you know what? He showed some flashes of doing it 17 years old still. So he was like 16 at, almost at the start of, of last season and putting up one Oh sixes with ease, like 106, 107 mile per hour exit velocities, home runs as far as 450 feet. Like that is big time power from a 17 year old. So the power you can really dream on, the hit we'll have to see. I think there's hope there, though, that he can even develop into an average hit tool. He's got one of the most ridiculous arms you're going to see from a young prospect as well. This is a tooled-up DSL prospect, 6'1", more room to fill out. You can dream on plus-plus power here. So it's always good to have those kind of guys, too. I love the way Vargas and Gerardo kind of complement each other in the DSL for this Marlins team. I also couldn't be more in on the 18 for 19 in the stolen base department too. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he motor a little bit when he's not hitting nukes or ripping doubles, he's getting on base and stealing second. Like, I don't know. This is just a very impressive line from him. And these are two guys that I, I have to watch more swings of. And I, I hope that they're in Jupiter at some point soon. Me too. I think Gerardo, they may take a little bit more time. He's a tad younger and, you know, a little bit more raw, but, uh, if he's hitting 106 already you know, off the bat, there, there's definitely something worth watching there. Yeah. Because of the the nature of prospect list, it's funny that now we go from Jose Gerardo to Xavier Edwards, which is just like the polar opposite. Edwards just got sent back down, more of a victim of circumstance, um, acquired from the Rays in part of that JT Chagua trade. Uh, the Marlins sent over a couple intriguing lower level prospects that you know I think the Rays were happy to get, but I think for the Marlins. Uh, they they were happy to to make this move. Chagua has been one of the better relievers, and Xavier Edwards looks like he can be a a solid utility piece for them. They've since moved him to center field, where he's looked pretty good. Switch hitter. I mean, you're not going to get an ounce of power. Um, I think the 30 raw power may be generous. I just yeah. feel really weird giving guys 20 raw That's power. Yeah. I feel like it's like almost disrespectful. Well, um, you did it on the game power. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, it's 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 just about 20 raw power. But, man, I mean, 93% zone contact if you include a big league stint and the AAA stint so far this year. Yeah, he puts the ball on the ground a lot, but he flies. I'm cool with that. Um, Fastballs-wise, he has swung and missed, I think, at like two so far this year. At 98.6% zone contact on fastballs. So, guy's going to put the ball in play he's going to make you make plays he's probably not going to hit the ball hard enough to be an impactful everyday bat but when you're a switch hitter with plus plus speed i'd like to see him get better in the base stealing department i know that that's a focus who can play center field and now play the infield um this is just a great utility piece at 23 years old 
Yeah, he's so much fun. Like, in a way, you know, obviously you equate a little bit of pop to fun, but I think he's fun because it's, you know, just slap the ball around, play everywhere. Like, this is kind of the most organic version of baseball that you've got. And Xavier Edwards, it's very rare that a guy goes over to a new organization and performs exactly how that organization expects him to perform. That's what he's done. In yeah. Jacksonville, he's walked 19 times. He struck out nine in 95 at-bats. Are you serious? Yeah. Like, come on, man. And he goes up. Yes, he hasn't walked yet, but, like, he was hitting singles. He hit 381 in those nine games. He struck out four times in 22 plate appearances. I mean, which like, is fantastic. Yeah, and, I mean, that's just what you want from him, and you're getting it. Yeah, so, you know, I think that's that's the thing to watch is, like, how much can he ride the hit tool? over the, uh, the the non-existent power. I think of qualified hitters last year, No, in the major leagues, no hitter had a max exit velocity below 103. Xavier Edwards is yet to exceed 103 this year. Uh, but again, like not many hitters are as patient as Xavier Edwards while also boasting elite, you know, uh, bat-to-ball skills and zone contact rates. So definitely a relevant piece there. At 11 is another guy that we've seen a little bit up and down this year is Peyton Burdick, outfielder, uh, now in AAA at the moment, he went up to the big leagues. It was rough. Burdick at this point, I think, is is a mistake hitter. You know, I think that's what you can call it. But the problem was he wasn't even hitting the mistakes enough when he got to the big league level. Uh, there's just so much whiff here. It's a it's a 30 hit tool, but at the same time, the power is is immense. It's 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 70 with ease. I mean, he was putting up 116s, I think 117s in AAA in the exit velocity department. But it's just it's just so much swing and miss. It does help that he can play all three outfield spots. I think that he is better suited and has his best chance as a power hitting fourth outfielder that you really just put out against lefties. He's really good against lefties. He gets overmatched against righties, you know, especially right handed breaking balls. You make him a guy that can platoon against lefties and play all three outfield spots. I think that's his role. Short side of a platoon with enough speed to to be a factor as well. Um, and, and the Marlins need more than that right now, and that's why he's not there. But I think he can find a role with a team at some point as that like Jordan Luplo type, I, I, which you know is not the most exciting in the world. But that's a big leaguer, and I still think there's a big leaguer here. Yeah, and it, and it's a number eleven prospect in a system that's relatively thin, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, the, the thing that gets me about Burdick is like he is clearly too good for minor league baseball. Right, it's so tough. He's yeah. It's like he's really he's a tweener right now. Yeah, um, and, and that is the worst place to be because like those guys are pissed, understandably so, when they're in AAA. But then they get up and they they struggle mightily. Like that's what Burdick was. He can sit there and mf and point to his nine seventy OPS in in Jacksonville and be like, dude, like. This is what I'm doing. He's got 12 pumps in 31 games. It's crazy. But he went up and had a 600 OPS. Like Yeah, and struck out left and right. It's yeah. tough. And I, I like Burdick, too, another really good dude. Um, and, and I think, that, again, that he can play center field helps, yeah. that he can motor helps, but you can't steal first. So the approach is pretty decent. I think if he can continue to walk, again, that, that can be his role is like that short side of platoon, Jordan Luplo type. It's in there, um, and hopefully he can kind of find that uh, as he gets an opportunity. I think it'll probably be better off somewhere else because, again, the Marlins aren't looking for a short side of the platoon guys. They're looking for you know everyday outfielders, but there could be a team. 
I could see the Dodgers or let's say like even a team like the Rockies that pick him up, give him a shot in that specific role. And he could do well there. Like, why can't he be similar to Trace Thompson? There's a lot of similarities there. Could he be a deadline flip? I wouldn't be surprised. I You, you got to figure there's a team that sees the EVs, sees the talent and says, hey, let's take a shot on this guy as, a, as like a filler in a deal and, right. and hope that they unlock something. You can't teach some him, of the stuff that he can do. Exactly. And, and let's put him in really low stress situations. Like the yeah. thing about the Marlins is they're putting him in an everyday role when he's up and that's not the kind of guy that he is. Right. So no. have him play against lefties, have him be on a good team, have him have a good tutor um, yeah. as like a good everyday outfielder and, you know, send you on your merry way. For reference, last year, 656 OPS against right-handed pitching, 847 OPS against left-handed pitching. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of what you can expect. Next up is one of my favorite guys in this system. Um, he's hurt right now. Hopefully we'll be back soon. I say catcher slash outfielder Paul McIntosh. This dude's bat is a big league bat. I will I will take that to my grave. He has a big league bat. He's quick to the ball while also having a ton of power. It's to all fields. He's a really athletic hitter. Um, was off to a phenomenal start this year in double A. Another dude that I think should have been in triple. But the Marlins are trying to figure out what to do with him because catching wise, it's it's not great. He's he's gotten better with the blocking and the receiving. Yes, he handled Yuri, but it just I, I see at the big league level like guys are gonna run on him. And especially with the new rules, like it could be a challenge and I think the Marlins may look to see if he can play a little bit outfield. And and before he got hurt of the 13 games he played or 15 games he played, whatever it was, I believe it was 13. He did play two in left field. So I think that is something to monitor when he comes back. Unfortunately, is going through a groin injury or something like that. DH several games and then caught several games. I know he wants to catch. I know he works diligently to do so. But I think if he works as hard as he works catching in the outfield, he could actually blossom into a decent outfielder because he runs decently well and he's a good athlete, but it's plus power and above average hit combination. Like I'm in on that. And, and I think we can expect Paul McIntosh to hit at every level. I really do think that he can be a big league bat. It's just, where does he play? The, his ability to like run well, like you're saying with that frame is really right. impressive. Cause this is a strong, strong ass dude. dude. Yeah. Big man, big pop. He can hit balls really hard. Um, we got to watch him do it for a couple of days last year in person, and it sounded different off his bat. Um, but yes, you know, obviously, defense is what you need uh, as a catcher. Like that's how you move up levels, right? You you show that you can handle staffs at each level. There's a reason that catchers progress um, way slower than every other position. So if he can play some corner outfield to spell those defensive worries, then the bat can really start to take yeah. him up levels. And and he can be that, like the, the new mold that we've seen, which is like the third catcher slash, you know, outfielder type. I think so that's Varsho, man. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody's looking for that poor man's Varsho. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that's w- what he can be. Max exit velocity of 115 last year. This dude hits the ball hard and makes plenty of contact. Number nine, friend of the show. Uh, definitely check out that interview if you didn't see it yet. Nassim Nunez. Nunez is one of the best defensive shortstops in the minor leagues, period. Like, there's no doubt about it. And he's one of the best base stealers in the minor leagues, period. We talked a little bit about Nunez and the, like, prospects to watch, so we don't need to, you know, rehash too much. Definitely go check out our, you know, 
kind of underrated prospects to watch episode that we did uh, just the other day. Uh, Nunez finally exceeding that that bottom of the barrel power. Like there's definitely a notch above what we see from Xavier Edwards, which is which is really all you need to see from him. Yeah. In terms of the max exit velocities, we've already seen this year a little bit more from Nas. He's put up a couple 105s, which I think is extremely encouraging, including a 104 mile an hour home run from him. If he can unlock maybe one or one more tick, that might be all you need. But even right now, I think that might be enough. Another dude that he talked about it in the episode, he's going to make you come to him and, and, and pitch three strikes. Like he's not worried about two strike counts. He feels like he can put the ball on the ground and beat it out. He's an elite runner. But again, if he's a 720 OPS guy, he will be a multi-win player at the big league level. So I think the Marlins do have a big leaguer here uh, just off of the defensive prowess and the improving bat. So he's a 680 OPS right now. He's a 660 OPS in his career in the minor leagues. If he continues to stay at a 680 OPS, I still think he gets a big league shot. Yeah. Let's say you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And weirdly, like I, I feel like he's going to maintain offensive numbers at each level. Like I, I almost feel like this is a guy we talked about it. I think last episode that will benefit from the tighter strike zone in AAA and from guys being around the zone more because he is over the edge of patient to passive. But yeah. he's the one profile where I will be okay with passive um, because sometimes it's like, what was he going to do with that pitch anyways? I'd rather him take a borderline pitch and see if he can walk. Uh, but it's a really unique profile, but I, I think he's going to find a way to onto a big league roster with the speed and with the defense. And you know, we'll see if he's an everyday guy. That's where the bat will have to shine through. The, the profile looks like what? Looks like it could be a 75 WRC plus, but two wins. Yeah, it's like it's I know Taylor Walls was really good offensively for a little stretch, but I think it's kind of Taylor Walls esque. Taylor Walls last year, right, where he was like too good to be in Durham. But yeah, and Walls didn't defend the way he should have. But but Walls, everyone will tell you, is a special defender. I think it's it's Taylor Walls esque um, and I think they're going to be very similar, but he has more speed and more impact on the base path. So I think Taylor Walls is is a fair comp. He's not going to hit the ball as hard, but he's going to give you more speed and I think even a little bit better defense. Cool. Jacob Barry checks in at number eight. Um, talk about 20 grades. I, I Again, I really don't like giving him out. This was a 20 grade on the glove. But the Marlins didn't draft him for the glove. They drafted him for the bat. And he was viewed by many as the most big league ready bat. For those who tuned into our draft live stream, you got a kick of my reaction, kick out of my reaction to the Jacob Barry selection um, because I, I didn't love it. I, that said, I expected more from him offensively than a 491 OPS through 35 games as one of the most polished college bats in high A. It's not like he's in double. He's in high A. I don't know what to make of it, man. Like five walks, 40 strikeouts. He's chasing at a 36% clip. He looks lost up there. If you blind tested people who are watching the game, He'd probably be the 30th guess of the players who are on the field. Um, there's not even 30 players in the field. He'd be one of the last guesses of the players on the field as to who was the number six overall pick in, in the previous draft. Yeah. Um, I don't want to pile on the kid. It sucks that he's off to such a slow start. I still think there's a, there's a world where the bat you know, develops. He's not whiffing egregiously. It's just a bad approach right now. Um, and he just doesn't hit the ball hard. And that's where I'm the most frustrated with, with the Marlins selection there is his, his exit velocities weren't that great with metal. And I don't know why evaluators were overlooking that 
but you look at the exit velocities last year, you're seeing guys like Jack Caglianone and, and, you know, Dylan Cruz and some of these dudes put up 118s, 119s with these metal bats. These are better metal bats than they ever were. Jacob Berry's max exit velocity with a metal bat last year was 107.7. Like, that's just not great. So you got to figure that that's going to put way more pressure on the hit tool. And now we're seeing a lot of those home runs in, in college just fizzle out at the track with wood. I, I'm extremely worried about Barry. And I think that's exempt, exemplified by him being number eight in a pretty weak system. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And obviously I've been on the receiving end of a lot of Jacob Barry worry, um, a lot of clips defensively and, Listen, like I'm not even going to start to speak on the defense. Like the defense is is tough to watch at points, which is brutal. Like I saw Torque make a couple of appearances at third it's, base, and Torque, Torque is looked, better by a lot. Yeah, Torque looked exponentially more comfortable than the clips you're sending me at Jacob Berry. The thing that jumps out to me, you know, obviously you look at this year, this guy's getting on base at a 203 clip, and he's slugging 290. Throw that out the window. Say, all right, just terrible start, whatever. Weather's starting to get warm. Let's say, let's see him get back. 33 games in low A last year. His slug was under 400. A college bat, a top 10 overall pick. Polished be college bat. Yes, like the most polished college bat in the draft should be slugging 500 in low A. And he wasn't. He was under 400. I don't know what evaluators were thinking there beyond the Marlins because it wasn't just the Marlins that were high on this guy. Like people were floating him as a number one pick at points. I I, I don't know because this isn't a hindsight thing. You can go back and listen to our draft stuff like that. This is one of the more mind blowing, um, you know, just prospects in terms of of pre draft perspective that I've ever really seen. I think moving him to first base will exponentially help him offensively, though. I think he. I see anguish at third base. Like this guy's in over his head over there. Let him play first and let him just focus on hitting because that's the only way he's going to get to the big leagues. It's not as a third baseman. Next up, Khalil Watson. And Watson, what a roller coaster it's been already for a guy that's like really in his second year of professional baseball. But Khalil Watson looks good. Um, You know, it's a little bit of a dry spell right now for him. He's slumping a tad um, that, you know, I think has put his season stats a little bit lower. But I've watched plenty of Khalil Watson so far. I think he's in a bit of – I think he's in the midst of like an 0 for 18. Not worried about it. He's a young high school bat in high A. This is where it's like you take this with a grain of salt and say, oh, okay, he's, he's just going through a rough patch as a kid in high A who's just turned 20 years old. But he looks so much better, Jack. Chase rates are cut by about 15%. Contact rates are way up, especially in the zone, 81% zone contact. He's hitting the ball harder. He's hitting the ball in the air more. I, I think Khalil Watson has shown everything you wanted to see on the field. And by everything I've heard, he's showing everything that they wanted to see off the field. Khalil Watson's looking like arguably the best prospect, or excuse me, the best infield prospect in the system. And I'd say if we updated this even now a couple weeks later, probably should be ahead of Yiddy Cafe, who we're about to get to. Yeah. So I, have you ever seen a prospect make more of a 180 on the field, off the field than Khalil Watson in the last 365 no. days? No, and I think that's because he's so talented and he couldn't have had much of a worse start in his first year, both on and off the field. Yeah. I mean, that that's just what fascinates me. And, you know, you look at what he did in Jupiter, a 690 OPS. So far this year, a 715 OPS. That's separated by 25 points. Very minuscule in the OPS department. 
but it feels like a 200 point jump because yeah. he's no longer like, you know, doing these things that, you know, obviously raised so many red flags uh, in terms of, you know, concerns, right? Like yeah. he, he doesn't seem as visibly immature anymore. No. There's just something about his 715 OPS this year that screams 900 compared to last year's 690. His, his body language was terrible. He was kind of checked out and, and you know, he was just flailing at so many bad pitches. Now you're seeing a really patient approach. And you know, up until this slump, the first 25 games of the year, 840 OPS was walking at a 19% clip, striking out at a 23% clip and just spraying the ball hard. Uh, 109 mile per hour max exit velocity looks pretty good. I know there's more in there too. Plus power to dream on. Watson, I think, is right there with Victor Mesa Jr. as 1A and 1B as the best position player prospects, probably as we would update this at the midseason. So to kind of tease it, we're going to talk about Yiddy Cape. Probably got a little ahead of myself with the hot start to Cape. I did highlight some concerns as to why he wasn't ahead of Victor Mesa Jr. Because prior to this uh, list dropping, if you asked anybody, I think they would have had Cape as a number one uh, position player prospect. I think he's probably now third behind you know, the aforementioned two. We'll get to Victor Mesa Jr. in a second, but Cape is in the midst of a pretty bad slump. I think this whole team is kind of slumping. Um, he's starting to show some signs of life, though. I had a couple hits the other day. He's a bat first, you know, prospect that is playing a little bit of shortstop, but they're already moving him mostly to second base. Good bat to ball skills, big power potential, but he's not really tapping into it just yet. We haven't really seen him, you know, put up great exit velocities, which was kind of my concern. So while you can see the potential to tap into more at 6'3", 170, um, you know, right now it's, it's fringy power. Bat-to-ball skills are all right. I, there's nothing that jumps off the page for me with Cape right now other than big-time projection, and he's 20 years old. Yeah, I, the question that I have for Cape is a question as old as the movie Moneyball itself. Um, when you stop hitting, when you are slumping, can you get on base? Yeah. And the answer right now has been no. No. Yeah, and and that's the issue with him. That said, you can you look at the frame, you're like, whoa, you can dream on some big time power there. The swing's pretty good. Uh, I think there can be an exciting offensive piece here. He's obviously highly regarded because he was a three point five million dollar international free agent in 2019. But yeah. chase rate at 40 percent, going to need to cut that down. But to me, that's a very obvious way to get better. And he's young for the level, so uh, you know I think you got to go with the growing pains. You, you got to kind of palette some of the some of the struggles because. He is young for the level and has so much uh, potential with long levers. And I do think there's more power in there and and there's above average speed. So he should develop. But, it, you know, it's he's going through some growing pains right now. How, how do you think he goes about getting better defensively? The arm How's strength the is kind of the issue for me. And, and, and he's long. So it's, I, I would almost like to see him gain a little bit of arm strength and play third. Yeah. Um, but that's what I think right now, because to me, he's too long to be a second baseman. I don't see the movement as well. I would have liked to see them give him some more looks at short, but clearly I mean, that that's Watson's spot. And I think Watson's a better defender there long term. I'd like to see him build up the arm and play third personally. Got you. Next up, another guest of the show who was great recently. Definitely go check out that interview. I know you enjoyed that one, Jack, yeah. with Victor Mesa Jr., who is so funny. Uh, I, like, in, in, in the best way possible, he's just got that infectious personality, like you mentioned. Um, he just has that persona that screams, like, star. Um, obviously, he's got to back it up with the play, and I think he's off to a phenomenal start in double A, all things considered. 762 OPS so far as a 21-year-old in that Southern League, I think, is great. 
tapping into way more power. We're seeing this guy hit the ball way harder this year. 90th percentile of 105. The defense in center field is spectacular. I think that's what's really stood out to me. And the zone contact keeps getting better and better. The approach keeps getting better and better. He talks about all of that on our episode uh, just a couple episodes ago. Go check that out. But uh, you know I, how, how highly I you know feel about Victor Mesa Jr. and the well-rounded game he has in center field. And for me, definitely the top position player prospect in this system. He's filling out a bit more than bro, than big bro, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously you see that huge money allocated to Victor Victor Mesa. You you want to see him fill out and become, you know, like a, this unbelievable athlete. Victor Victor Mesa is an incredible defender, but he never filled out. Mesa Jr.'s filling out. Like he looks like a bigger, in a good way, beefier version of his brother, which is cool. And it may make some people sad because they wanted that for Victor Victor, but you should be really happy with Mesa Jr. A hundred percent. You know, Mesa Jr. still got a million of his own too. Um, yeah. So, you know, this was still a, a good prospect. The one thing that I love that he mentioned, you talk about the strength and adding power. He was really focused on adding speed and in doing so really strengthened his lower half. And he feels like that's, what's kind of, helped him tap into more power. You, naturally, you fill out in the chest area as, as, as a, you know, a, a boy to a man, teenager to a man is at this age. That's usually where you naturally don't have to lift as much. Your upper body is going to get stronger. Spend the next five minutes explaining puberty to me. How does no, it work? I'm good. I'm good. Um, How does it work? <laughs> I don't know. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still hoping it hits me. Um, you look how baggy my shirt is right now. Um, I, I really think that this is one of the better um, – one of the better center field prospects that you're, you're going to find in the, in the Southern league right now, obviously you got Pete Crow Armstrong, you got Jackson Chorio, but I don't think he's far off from that next tier or might be in that next tier of really good center field prospects. He talked about on the episode, wanting to challenge himself by being as good of a defender as PCA as being as, as good of a hitter as Chorio and some of those other guys. And, you know, I think what he's done so far has been extremely impressive and you're seeing, Above average power, above average speed, above average defense, and at least an average hit tool. That's a good center fielder potentially as a left-handed bat. 21 years old. So the other name that he mentioned was Yoelki Cespedes, the center fielder for AA Birmingham and the White Sox work. Um, Cespedes, not a top 100 guy. Chorio, obviously a top five prospect in baseball or top 10, depending on how you look at him. And then PCA, you've got him top 30. Is he closer to PCA and Chorio or Yoelki Cespedes at this point? That's a great question. I think because of how highly regarded PCA and Chorio are, I'd put him like smack in the middle. I'd yeah. put Uopi as a tier three. I'd put Mesa Jr. as a tier two. And I'd put those guys as tier one. I know that's a cop out answer, but no, but you see him as a fringe top 100 guy. fringe top 100 guy. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a great question. Next up, Dax Fulton, number four, another guest of the show. <laughs> we do well in the Marlin system. Dax Fulton. I was so excited about Fulton this year and he's hurt right now. He's on the IL with a foot issue. Thank goodness. Not an arm thing, foot thing. Yeah. He actually was coming off his best start of the year or back-to-back best starts of the year. So that's the frustrating part is that the foot injury comes right after he put together, you combine the two starts, 10 and two thirds innings, 17 Ks, five walks and three earned runs. I mean, that, that was really, really, really good. It, it was a slow start for him. I think he was adjusting to his fastball, having a totally different shape. He was one of the biggest IVB gainers this year with with the Southern League Baseball, but also saw his fastball tick up to 94 on average. 
Curveball is still great. We saw the changeup flash, but it was just inconsistent. This is still a very exciting pitching prospect, 21 years old, with plenty of success in double A under his belt. It's about the command for the 6'6 lefty. It's, it was good to see him trending upwards, but it stinks that you know he, he unfortunately is on the shelf right now with that foot issue. I've, I have no update on that either. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Dude, I mean, the, the fastball with that chemical tack was too good for his own good. Like worst yeah. command of the last several years for Dax Fulton. Yeah. So, you know, like get him out of there and see if he can throw more strikes, honestly, because big guy like this, you get 6'6", 220. That's a big dude. And, and it almost seems like he's a bit heavier than 220, I want to say. Um, yeah. But he throws like a big man. I mean, we talked about Kyle Muller kind of being that build, right? And, and Trevor Rogers is the example within the Marlins organization. Big lefty. You want to see big lefty eat. And I think that he can. A hundred percent. And the full tick up in velocity as well. He saw 5% gain in a swinging strike rate on the fastball, but just too many non-competitive pitches. And I really think we, we see more hit batters than ever in the Southern League. That's also part of the tack ball thing. So there's there's some moving parts there. And, and I do I would like to see him in triple after a couple starts of coming back. Do the Ben Brown type thing. If he struggles in triple, that's fine. I'd rather him work through it there and and use normal baseballs and get used to, to that kind of competition because the stuff is fantastic, like you said. As long as you know the makeup is there. And, oh, and, and based we on your conversations. Yeah, like Fulton's is there. Ben Brown's, the makeup is there. He can deal with adversity at the AAA level. 100%. couple guys that really aren't pitching right now. Uh, one will be back sooner than the other. Max Meyer. We've talked about Meyer. He checks in at number three, actually, behind Eater. And for me, it was because if I had to pick one moving forward that has the best chance of being a solid middle of the rotation starter, I'd go with Eater. We'll get to that in a second. Meyer made it to the big leagues off of really just having a ton of success in the upper upper minors last year, then goes down with the Tommy John surgery. Slider's elite. It's a 70-pitch, borderline 80-grade pitch. Fastball is very dead zone-esque, but it has almost this weird shape where it could work as this almost weird pitch that drops and gets ground balls. But it's a tightrope back there of being in the dead zone and being in this like buffer zone of just being a fastball that guys don't hit well. It's more in the the former of the dead zone. And then the changeup is just kind of far off. He's got to figure out the fastball, uh, just find a way to make it average. I know it's got good velocity, but he's got to find a way to make it at least average to, to be a big league starter, in my opinion. And right now it's just not that. We'll see how he looks when he comes back. Some guys come back with a little bit of a different shape and an and uptick in the fastball. If that's the case, then Myers' outlook is a lot better. But obviously he's going to miss this whole year. And right now it's, it's just the slider. That's the only big league pitch that he has. That'll make him a good reliever, no doubt about it. But you want more out of Max Meyer. It's an availability thing for Meyer. Um, like, when I close my eyes and think of Max Meyer, I think of the video I saw at Minnesota and I think of 2021 in double and like that brief moment in triple. And I'm like, this dude is nasty. So yeah. like my preconceived ideas and bias around Max Meyer um, has him at two for me. But like, obviously, you're the one diving into the numbers and, and you know, keeping better tabs on what he's done lately. And, and the shape is off. But I will tell you, like, that slider is rated R. Yes. 27% swinging strike rate on it last year. 45% chase rate. It, it is legitimately rated R. Um, I, I'll, I'll make my eater case when we get to eater. 
I think there's a world where Meyer has a better big league career, very possible. And it's really dependent on the fastball shape and any feel for that changeup. Very interested to see you know, which of the two may separate themselves. Both could be trade chips for this Marlins team, too, if they if they decide they want to try to load up for now. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. But I agree. I mean, when you see the athleticism of Meyer on the mound, it, it's easy to fall in love with with what he what he can potentially do. I'm just worried about the slider dependency. And it'll it'll be it'll be fun to see how he bounces back. Number two is Jake Eater, who should be back soon. Tommy John surgery and then would have been back by now, but then had a, a fluky foot injury. I think he got hit with a comebacker or something like that. So he should be back relatively soon. We have not seen Jake Eater throw baseballs since 2021, though I heard that his velocity looked all the way back on the backfields and, and he looked really good. His fastball shape is fantastic and, and it, it jumps in the mid 90s. And his slider is, is you know, I would say PG 13, but it's, it's pretty nasty. And guys just really couldn't hit it. I, I'd say it's borderline rated R. He just didn't command it as well as Max Meyer. Opponents in 2021 against Jake Eater's slider. And remember, this was right after being drafted in the fourth round and going straight to double A to debut. Opponents were four for 73 against this slider with a 56% K rate. It was disgusting. He could manipulate it. It was that sweeper before we really saw people throwing sweepers. Then he mixed in a changeup that's already a little bit ahead of Myers and looks pretty decent. It's a three-pitch mix from a big lefty that I really like. I think it's above-average fastball, it's a plus slider, and it's a changeup that flashes above average. That, to me, as a 6'4 lefty, better chance of settling in the middle of the rotation. I'm ex- really excited to see Eater come back soon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard to take things away from what Eater did. Um Because, again, it was so long ago. My fun thing on Eater is we were robbed of the 2020 Vanderbilt Commodores because Eater, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, and Mason Hickman were all in that rotation. Hickman was like the midweek guy, but that weekend rotation could have been Eater, Rocker, Leiter. Not to mention, you've got guys like Austin Martin on that team, Carter Young on that (laughs) team, Spencer Jones on that team. Also, how about Justin Henry Malloy? on that team as well. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah we, that team guy for a minute absolutely. and then he was at Georgia tech. That team would have been a force. Um, force. But yeah, I mean, either through in the futures game, this was a very, very quickly rising, like on every top 100 list. People were very excited about him. He's downright nasty. Very interested to see how he comes back. If he's in the mid nineties with that fastball, it's got good shape. He could be a problem. And we know how the Marlins develop these guys to throw changeups either the templates there. Yep. Last but not least, guy we've talked plenty about, and man, did he look good again against the Los Angeles Angels. Yuri Perez, number one prospect in this system, number one prospect pitching-wise, 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 in baseball. I mean, dude, it, especially when you see the struggles of Grayson Rodriguez, which, you know, stinks, obviously. But to see Yuri come up and have this level of success while some guys like Brandon fought like Grayson Rodriguez, uh, like Gavin Stone, really every pitching prospect <laughs> for the most part, other than Bryce Miller and you know Mason Miller was great when he when he was first up and then obviously got hurt. But a lot of the top guys struggled. Yuri Perez is an exception to that, and he is still just scraping the surface of what he can be. Um, we're seeing that fastball look better and better in terms of the location. We know how elite it can be shape wise. The slider is disgusting. The curveball has been good. 
And the thing is, the changeup hasn't even been there for him, Jack. And that is his highest upside pitch, in my opinion. So the fact that he still is working on finding the field for the changeup at the big league level is crazy to me. The slider has been dynamite. This dude is going to be special for a long time. For sure. I mean, he has the makings of a perennial all-star on the hill, and you can see that in his first four starts at the big league level. Again, for the most part, like you're saying, he's been fastball slider. I ask you, do you see a guy that is nibbling in his first four starts? Because in 19 innings, he's walked 10. It's not something to take with more than a singular grain of salt. The only reason I bring it up is because this proves that nobody is immune to not walking guys, except if you have the best fastball in Major League Baseball on your Major League debut like Bryce Miller. Yeah, you know, and I think that's exactly what it is for Yuri. We talked about sometimes leaving it over the middle and and how that's how he gets beaten. I think he was a little wary of that. Um, I I don't know if it's nibbling as much, though, because the strike rate on the fastball has been better than I would have thought in terms of like if he was nibbling. What I'm seeing is it's just not enough feel for the curve and the change thus far. And if you look at the last three, the the three starts that he's made, fastball, 67% strike rate. Slider has been there, 73% strike rate. But he loves to go to that curveball, especially against lefties. And that curveball has not been there, 44% strike rate there. And then the changeup has really not been there, 28% strike rate. Again, another pitch that he loves to use against lefties. So, Against lefties, that's been the challenge for him. The two pitches he likes to use are not there for him feel-wise. And that's the craziest part, though. He can still get outs with the fastball and the slider. So for me, I don't know if it's nibbling as much as not having a feel for all four. And I think that will come. Okay, got you. What's your prediction end of year to wrap up on this episode? End of year prediction for Yuri Perez. What do you What do you think he finishes? Where do you think he finishes at in terms of ERA? So he's at 284 in his first four starts. Not a sub three guy. I will give you three, three, five. Man, that would be huge for the Marlins. And I think but, that's a phenomenal start for Yuri. But dude, as I get closer to the microphone, he's that fucking talented. Yeah. Like that's, like, and that's probably going to be one of the worst seasons we'll see from him. <laughs> yeah. Like very possible. Um, yes. I'm very excited about it. And he's going to continue to get better and better and better. That'll do it for this episode. That'll do it for the Miami Marlins farm system rundown. We got the Milwaukee Brewers coming up next week. That's a fun system with some of the guys graduating. Plenty of names I'm excited to highlight there. And we're going to do a mailbag coming up for the next episode this week. So follow along on Twitter and check out, you know, keep stay tuned there to to see when we might put up a post for some questions. I'll probably be doing that tomorrow. Uh, That would be June 1st. Also a reminder to join our So Rare League you can play free fantasy baseball with us for a chance to win prizes, MLB TV subscriptions, just baseball merch, and just hang out and have fun with us. That link is in our podcast description. Jack, any final thoughts? Yeah, I need another reliever in so rare besides Yancy Almonte. It's tough for me to click on Yancy Almonte each time. I need to buy somebody else in order to give me some variety. JT, JT Chagua. I'm in. I'm telling you, that's the cool thing with the relievers in so rare. You can find some some diamonds in the rough or you can go and pay a pretty penny and go get Alexis Diaz. No, I'm going to go grab that dude on the Rangers that just debuted and is throwing like a freak show. Did you see him? No. Oh, let me find you his name real quick before we say bye. He might not even have a card yet. I'll tell you. Where is he at? Where is he at? Where is he at? I'm scrolling pitching ninja. I'm looking right now. Also, it's so rare, like cards looking for relievers. 
wonder what Strider's limited card goes for. Crazy stuff. But again, it's free to draft the 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 common team, and you can win limited cards there that are worth money, and that's really fun. And you can compete for free with your common cards there. But if you get the bug like I did, you can start picking up the limited cards, investing in those players, and they end up going up in value big time. Oh, wow, that is some freak stuff. What's his name? Grant Anderson. Oh, it was Grant Anderson. He'll have a card soon, I'm sure. Uh, but definitely be sure to check out So Rare MLB and click that link so you can come and play with us. Thank you for listening. We'll talk prospects with you either tomorrow or the day after that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.